0: Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? Jamie? Back to Toledo, Ohio I went, virtually, to sit down with Andrew Bubba Behrenzweig, who's in transition to the role of CEO of Highland, one of the nation's largest business insurance brokers. Bubba is a fourth generation family member of this highly regarded brokerage. A former professional hockey player, Bubba takes to the ice now with over 750 teammates in 17 offices around the nation. I learned a great deal in our conversation about a business respecting their heritage and history, while being clear on the need to make significant changes to the way they operate to grow and succeed over the next 85 years. Please enjoy episode 28 of Generation Excellence: The Highland Story, with Bubba Berenswag. Well, good afternoon, Andrew Bubba Berenswag of Highland Inc. Insurance business. Uh, where, where I'm finding you? I assume in your office in the Toledo, Ohio area.
1: That is correct. I am, I am one of very few that Mm. actually is in the office.
0: Yeah, with plans. I hope to have more coming back soon.
1: Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think in the service industry, uh, you know, even once COVID's kind of gone or people are less afraid of it, we're still going to have to rethink uh, the office space. Yeah, I understand we're kind of going through that ourselves. Yeah. Uh,
0: so Highland uh, uh, roots are in Toledo, Ohio, Northern Ohio. correct. Correct. Um, I know you have some operations in Michigan maybe we can talk about sort of when in the the business journey that all happened. but uh, you know company that I guess key milestone year of 85 was in 2020 so probably not as much chance to recognize it as you all would have liked. But um, it your it goes, the roots of this company go back both to Toledo and to your great grandfather is that correct That is and correct. Can can you just sort of how you know it and tell it as the the founding story of this this business and then we'll kind of we'll do eighty five years in way less than eighty five minutes I promise.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and and quite honestly, I'll I'll shorten it up as well because you know my knowledge of what it was like when great-grandfather was running it is very uh, limited sure uh, there's certainly uh, people in the third generation who can talk a lot more about that um and there's some real interesting stories around the time where uh, bob highland's grandfather uh was taking over the business and got injured in, in war and mm-hmm. uh grandmother went to uh, a local competitor and stole their number two guy. And, and for a period of time, we were called Highland McLean. I've seen that, yeah. <clears throat> and so that, you know, pretty interesting stuff around that. But, you know, during all that time, we were a very small, uh, I would assume, predominantly personal lines insurance broker. Right. Um, and then in the mid, mid 80s is uh, probably the, the most important part of our history uh, Bob Highland, who was the majority ownership by a long shot, majority owner by a long shot, uh, decided to sell the company to Dana. Sure. Uh, the auto part manufacturer. Who, up. Yep, still, uh, still around, still a customer of ours. Uh, but they were diversifying in the financial service space and all sorts of different things. And they thought it'd be great to have a broker, um, a brokerage firm. And so they made an offer to, uh, bob hyland that he couldn't refuse and at the time we were maybe a three million four million to operation that was about it and how, father, many, how many
0: people would that be represented at that if time?
1: i if i had to guess uh you know maybe 20. okay so smaller business maybe 25 yeah. yep small business uh, my father-in-law was uh, a minority owner and probably one or two or three of his brothers were working as well Um, and so he was, he stayed on and ran it for Dana. And after about three or four years, uh, he's like, I can't, I can't do this. He goes, and I, I think there was some pretty, uh, developed plans to move to like Boise, Idaho. I think Boise was really starting to pick up at the time. And he went to Dana and said, listen, I'm, I'm out of here. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. (laughs) Let's, uh. Let's talk about possibly selling this back to you. Mm. So it was then, I think it was uh, part of Dana for three or four years and he ended up buying it back, leveraged everything he had, um, was even required by the bank to bring on a, a, a partner. So his top guy, a guy named Scott Stewart became a minority owner uh, and they bought it back. And Wonderful. from, from that day, you know, Mid to late '80s, you know, we've grown from that small five to ten million dollar operation to where we are today.
0: So, in your parlance, it is a business that kind of went hockey stick a little bit. Uh, it did. It did. What What is What's your earliest memory of the business? When did you first get sort of associated or connected or um, exposed to it?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I've got a pretty decent. Or a pretty close relationship with my father-in-law, um, and so after school, I went and played professional hockey for five years. i to ask you about that. We'll talk about that a little bit, okay? Yeah, and um, he was—I uh, I enjoyed having some conversations with him during that time uh, about the business. Sure. And and so I—I I was starting to learn a little bit. And, you know, I didn't know really anything about it. I, I, you know, and still at the time, I thought I was going to be a Hall of Fame hockey players, That's so right. I wasn't thinking I would ever have to work, um, which was kind of naive anyways, if <laughs> I was a Hall of Famer. Um, but uh, it, it was right before the lockout in 2004, and uh, things weren't going all that well for me with uh, Dallas. I'd been traded to Dallas, was sent to Utah, which was their AHL team, um, got pretty uh, disenfranchised after a couple of maneuvers they made with some players and and uh, decided to step away. My father-in-law said, well, why don't you just hang up your skates and come work for me? And so I did. And it wasn't shortly thereafter uh, that he uh, retired. <laughs> ah, okay. I was coming to this business thinking I was going to learn a lot from him, and uh, it was shortly after that that he handed the business over to uh, Mike Hyland got it
0: got it so you're you know get that exposure to it before you join it and and then kind of work your way up through through the system just kind of like you had to do in in the way the hockey system works right yeah i mean by background you were a collegiate player at university of michigan is that correct i was yes and and then and then went into to the, the pro level and uh yeah
1: and so yeah, I, I always joke about the fact that um, I took a six-digit pay cut uh, to come to work for <laughs> uh, for my father-in-law, uh, which was, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, I started at the bottom. Um, well, I, I started as a producer, uh, property and casualty, middle market, generalist. I didn't really have any kind of focus. But they, they put me underneath a, a gentleman named Art Hoover, who um, was a very... Uh, technical uh successful producer for a couple great companies prior to coming to highland so he he really brought me along and taught me a lot about the business and uh a lot more uh, about how to be a businessman and not a not a hockey player so I certainly had my slip ups for sure
0: got it and 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 uh, highland as a company been recognized pretty regularly I'd guess over maybe, you know the last 10-15 years is you know one of these best places to work, great places to work. What it what is it? What do you think it is that yields those those that, that that recognition, those designations? What's what's sort of special as this place has grown and been able to, you know, maintain some
1: specialness? You know, it's a it's a interesting topic um today, because I've thought a lot about this. And obviously, you know, culture is a, a huge part of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> but when you sit there and you think about, okay, well, what makes our culture so great? Now, obviously, just like probably any other family-owned business, you all say, well, it's a family culture. Right, right. I mean, yeah, that of course, that's the advantage of being a family-owned business is you can certainly promote that. Well a big tool in that was the office and where it was just expected that every business had their employees work in an office. And so you would create a, the best environment you could. You'd A physical you'd be, environment. Okay. Right. You'd be yep. very flexible with, you know, when people had issues at home. I mean, sure. so, but it was all, it all, what allowed us to do that was, really because the whole country just worked in an office and we we were very lenient and flexible with with people uh, in that environment. So when I sit there and I think about going forward, you know, how are we going to create that same family feel in a remote mm-hmm. environment? And I think it can be done. I think we just need to get a lot more deliberate about you know what that is. And I, and I, and I don't personally know where I'd, I'd
0: love to keep talking to you about it because I think the concept of an office, which they say I looked up the word once, the roots of the word, the origin, and it's like a five or 600 year old concept. These places you went to to work call an office. And one year of anybody in a service business being basically your home, you know, we're not, what do they say? We're not working from home, we're living at work. Yeah. And what is that going to be like in the future? A one-year experiment versus a 600. I, you know, it's, it's, a, the scales aren't quite even there. I think there's a lot to figure out. So yeah. that's a really good point. So it's, it's really culturally driven. So th- how, so how would you, how do you describe that culture though? What is the Highland culture if you bottle it,
1: if you could bottle it? Yeah. I, we're, um, we're an organization that that truly believes uh that our employees need and should expect to be supported in every aspect of their their job and and their family life we truly believe in a in a a work family balance uh and so it's it's truly how we spend a lot of time focusing on how do we support them who ultimately then support our customers to right, so
0: serve your clients and customers. And okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, so it, it, we never lose focus of that. I mean, and, and we, it, it, there's a balance of course, because people just complain to complain a lot, um, <laughs> but we try and, we try and make sure that, that we we don't just brush that off. We we spend a lot of time making sure that uh, that our people feel that they have the support.
0: Sure. And then I mean, you mentioned the whole journey with Dana Corp and in and out of that. I mean, over that eighty-five year history, is there any other, you know, major story either of of something that was the big pivot? Because we didn't used to use that word. If you look at business books from fifty years ago, or the Giant mistake. Like, are there any other kind of key moments along those those decades that get talked about, like is it a big learning lesson kind of things?
1: No. In fact, um, we're doing that right now. So we, you know, we went from that five million to a hundred and fifty million dollar operation uh, from you know the late '80s to to today, uh, and we did it under the same model, you know some of the questions that you said we'd get to, this will kind of touch on it. Sure. <clears throat> but Pat ran, the company as a whole ran Toledo. He then had a brother, Steve Hyland, who was probably one of our best technicians in the Highland family, moved up to Detroit and opened up an so office. That's there. Great, that's
0: the entry to Michigan, okay. Yep.
1: yep. So then um, another brother, Mike Highland decided that he was gonna start an operation in Cleveland. So that's how we moved into Cleveland. And then we had a couple other uh, very good producers who were in Toledo that moved down to Cincinnati, moved down to Columbus, and one that moved in Fort Wayne. And so that was that that mini agency model where it was very entrepreneurial. All those individuals had ownership in those local offices. And so we built that model to the 17 offices we have today, and it was good. I mean, it it was great. It was actually great. It, it allowed us to have that local. We're we're very philanthropic as an organization yeah. as well. And every community we're in, that's local
0: very, community support yeah. and ties to see that. Yeah.
1: Yes. And so they, they had all these little mini agencies. Uh, but what we what we realized is. I want to take this organization from 150 to 500 to a billion before I retire, and the only way we're going to do that is by breaking down these barriers and borders that we've superficially created just by that model. And so, we actually we actually changed the compensation structure this year. Uh, so this is kind of that big pivoting got moment, um, and silo busting is always an interesting thing. Absolutely, yeah. we got. We've got a lot of people that um, we're going to have to reprogram uh, who we're really just focused on their small little community. Um, And
0: and I assume it's not broken. It's a, this is what we have to do if we're going to go to that next level, right?
1: So it is definitely not broken. But if we don't do this, I think we become irrelevant. Hmm. what's happening in our industry is aggregation sure and we there is so much private equity money coming into insurance brokerages they're all getting gobbled up everywhere and it's a huge huge opportunity but if we don't change how we operate we're we're gonna we're gonna lose out and Yeah. uh, uh, yeah I mean even if uh, that wasn't happening. I, I do believe that we would we would have needed to do this to get to the 500 and a billion but to me it's even more of an issue of being relevant.
0: No it's a great motivating force that I mean, who wants to be irrelevant right and and yeah. and you have to be changing or I mean, that's a little more from military sort of point of view than sport even.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, what do you for yourself are you someone who, you use a lot of sports analogies cause you've lived in it pretty intensely or you avoid them and you just sort of be about the the business and the insurance business. Where, where are you on that?
1: We have a great leader in our Indianapolis office named Dave Norris, who was a Western Michigan football player and man, he uses sports analogies. Like I've never seen before. <laughs> uh, I do not use them. Okay. Uh, I, and I not by choice. I just, I guess I just never have. And uh, you know, maybe one or two will slip in every once in a while, but yeah, I, am not a big Good. sports analogy guy, but then sports
0: analogies aside that experience you had of, you know, both high-level collegiate sport and then at the professional level, what, what, what do you find you've taken away from that, that you, you that just, your head goes there a little bit or where you apply in your, your work and, and even family life and just in life.
1: Um, I think one of my my best strengths, or why I've had the success I have, is because of my ability to figure out where each person fits. And when you're playing on a team, um, especially at the levels I did, you're working with some of the toughest personalities, mm-hmm. uh, very confident individuals, and and leading a group of individuals that are that have that mindset and think that way of themselves, and uh, it becomes very strategic when when you're truly getting everyone to think and, and act like a team. So that to me has probably been uh, my my biggest advantage in this in this world is is truly creating a team environment.
0: Yeah, well, that's a great way to think about it. I over this past year, everybody's had their various uh, sort of streaming go-tos, right? There, and I, I that um, ESPN thirty thirty extended kind of last dance thing they did on the Bulls in their various eras really made that point pretty clear. The the personalities and the puzzle pieces of of the
1: people uh, and well, and that's a good, that's a great example because you know, Dennis Rodman, you, you sit there and say, well, you're making exceptions for this one guy. And it's like, yeah, that's okay. As, as Michael Jordan or, or Phil Jackson, or who, whoever is leading that team is like, listen, guys, we need to, we don't all need to be treated and, and, and be the same. Right. And you have to understand that. And I, and I feel like this is the thing that frustrates me the most is that idea of that everything needs to be the same. And I like, that can't happen, right? We're not robots. People sure. aren't robots. We're a people business, and so a lot of things are going to be different. We're going to be fair, but they're going to be different. And Robin was a perfect example.
0: Well, and it's a great example of make people's lockers the same size. Other things are the same, so that right. take that out of the equation. But the personalities and the human—that's that's, exactly. yeah—that so you don't have so many layers of difference and whatever. That's
1: exactly right. That's. Exactly. Uh,
0: well, you've, you've kind of gotten that kind of the the vision for the future or what has you excited about where to go and, and some ambitious steps that you'd like to take, to take this business. And all of that is you're, you have a, it sounds like a pretty orderly process as you're in the transition to be the CEO. I mean, you've been named that and there's a whole process that you go through right through this year and, and kind of doing that starting in
1: 2022 is Yeah, I am. Mike's Mike's been in charge of the process. Uh, Mike Hyland, who's our current CEO. Um, But like all things, I mean, it's not necessarily following (laughs) any kind of process because things are changing, right? And and the the neatest thing about it is Mike has been incredible about moving me into – Uh, situations where he was making decisions and he's saying, here's here's the new guy who's going to make the decision and it's his decision. And he'll sit there and he'll throw in a couple pieces of advice or he'll wait till after a call, give him, you know, pull me aside and say, what do you think about this? But the transition is really happening um, as we speak. He's, it's, it's not just like, Hey, January first, twenty twenty two. Now the it's stuff your stuff changes, it's, right? It, yeah, it is. It's very fluid, and um, and I I never expected that. Um, you know, I think it's it's a a very hard thing uh, for most of these individuals to kind of step away from what they've built. And uh, I've I've been incredibly impressed with with Mike through this process. Great. He's been he's been amazing.
0: As, as you go through that process, and as a larger family enterprise, are do you have a board, formal board of directors? Do you have a board of advisors? How how does that kind of work for you and the leaders?
1: So we and uh, we don't. We okay. our board is is mainly all family members. Um, we do have that or, that original owner with Pat, who is no longer with the company, still sits on the board. Okay. Um, and then our our current president a guy named Bill Pridgen, sits on the board so it's
0: so who do you turn to if you uh, I mean as kind of advisors for yourself mentor advisors you, you know who are some go-to's for yeah. you as you especially because you're trying to navigate some weighty stuff
1: yeah I, so um, my father-in-law is still very Great. much engaged. He's still our majority owner um, so he is he's always available to me. I mentored under Richard Highland when I took over the Toledo office and then I've been mentoring under Mike uh, mm-hmm. during this whole process and actually probably for the last three years he's kind of been my direct report uh, so I've had a lot of time working with them. I, I saw that one of the questions was you know who is my best mentor I, it'd be a bad. Business decision for myself uh, to pick one of them. I think they've all been amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, outside of that, I I've really surrounded myself with a lot of people who are very good at where I'm deficient, and um, I'm very disciplined about getting them involved when I know I'm deficient. Uh, I not a single one of my leadership team uh is the same not one of them got it they're they're all very different they all bring different attributes and talents and so i'm i'm very good at leaning on them. good is is your wife involved in the business she is not technically involved um so she mike did form a a family foundation uh, got it she sits on that board and uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see how involved she gets in the future um, but uh, as of right now in terms of true business decision making or strategy she's she's decided on her own that she's not interested in doing that
0: and you're part of you know this tree of family connectedness that is into a fourth gen as they call it are there are there with the various, People from this family, are there those that are even like a fifth generation yeah. or other younger um, family members also in, you know, kind of another group in the next generation?
1: I, I think that, um, so my father in law is one of nine.
0: Yeah, uh, a lot of, sounds like a lot of yeah. brothers, right? Um, <clears throat> I think well, our, that, that helps this, the hub and spoke model if you got a bunch of them that you can send out to their territories. <laughs> that's right.
1: Uh, well we're we're getting away from that
0: but i, but I do change, expect, i know you're changing the model now but
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I do expect for uh, for some of our family members to elevate themselves into leadership positions there's some very talented family members um, and I think in the fifth generation i think the oldest fifth generation uh, children grandchildren are actually my brother-in-law's and so, I, I, my father and I, was very hopeful that uh, that that'd they decide really, that'd be to be really go neat. Into the business. But there are, I think, uh, the next closest fourth generation to me is around thirty, maybe thirty-one Got years it. old. So we already do have that succession um, starting to. And there's one of them is Matt Hyland, who uh, was just named the president of our Ann Arbor office. Okay. There is, there's some talented individuals that'll be ready to take over um, when I'm done.
0: And then, so you mentioned that, you know, the, a lot of family members, the, the board, or you have these meetings, uh, how, how how would you describe how you all make decisions when you're in that more, that sort of setting? Even those major decisions that you've made as to where the company has to go next and including, I guess, you it's fair to say, disrupt thyself, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So we've seen a lot of examples where family-owned businesses um, structurally have failed. And so my father-in-law has always been a big believer in someone having majority ownership. So I would describe it as he's the decision guy, but he allows and, and expects for us to come to him and, and sell him on on ideas. And, okay. um i mean everyone has a ton of respect for him they trust his opinion you know he's luckier than than lucky um he's just got he's he's an amazing man so it it works for us and as him as that decision maker it works for us
0: yeah and for- i mean so what i mean what um I mean, there's some big stuff you just talked about that you're tackling. What, like, what's a, another example of something you've, you or the team have brought to that setting as a, a new way of thinking about doing business or communicating or operating? You know, some, something that you're experimenting with or have put
1: into full force. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole change in the in the compensation structure was okay. was a big thing for him. Sure. I mean, it, it was built off of what he wanted and what he thought was best for this organization and and that really had a big element of the return i mean it was the, the bonus plan was really focused a lot more on the return than the growth we flipped that upside down and so huh. that was a big that was a big one for him to go along with but it was incredibly critical for where we wanted to head in addition to that now it's it's more about not buying or opening offices in a location that are going to be generalists. It's more of a strategic approach. We've brought in a captive team, um, expanded it to India and the UK, and we're looking other places. So, you know, So those ideas that are a lot different from just that agency model of expanding sure. out, um, and we're doing it in other areas as well. So there's... It, it's uh it's taking shape quickly and and these things are just started happening in the last couple of years
0: and is and as your industry and business is incredibly i mean what industry isn't really dynamic right it's like even if it was something stayed for a while it's getting changing greatly because of tech and other things what do you are, are there other industries or categories you kind of watch and use as like the model or the guide you know we're an advertising agency but of course we look to you know what are What's Google doing, or what Facebook doing? You know that that are sort of the newer media models, both how they operate, and also because we use them as as media vehicles and and have no choice in some in some aspects. But yeah. where do you where do you go to for some of that?
1: Yeah, it's um, I would say that our industry is the most archaic, and it is finally changing, and it's changing quickly. Uh, you know, we're part of a a broker tech. Uh, probably about 10, 12, maybe as many as 15 brokers out there just like us, family owned, who okay. all pooled our money and, and do like a shark tank type model with these budding tech companies who are building technology for our industry. Just, uh, um, so we are actually seeing some change. Uh, there's the whole cyber world. I I have my whole opinion on what's going on there after Google announced what they did uh, on, on cyber insurance, uh, I don't even know if a broker will will be in that space in in a few years. But what is and, and, and you did touch on this. What is great about our industry is that it's applicable to every aspect of life and business. We touch everything, and so what I've been encouraging and and what we'll continue to encourage going forward is that these these strategies or industry verticals or whatever it is we're doing really need to kind of take on a life of its own. And, and they really need to build a model that works in whatever industry or vertical they're selling to. Once again, it doesn't need to be the same. It needs, if you're going to be in environmental, you you need to build a business that sits in that. Right. And you know, just too many times. It's it's just like, well, this is how we operate and as an industry. And uh, we, we've got to get a hell of a lot more creative around specific verticals. Got it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you're right that you have a business that, I mean, we have clients, we can't have as many really as an insurance company of your size, but it lets you touch and be involved in and get knowledge about so many different industries and verticals and the personalities and and then if you have credibility and you do a great job in the I don't know, insuring hotels or whatever, you're gonna get more of them because you know it, right? Yeah, That's exactly right. Uh so you know, a lot of this is about the business and and it's it can be all business all the time. What do you do to give are you able to sort of turn your head off from the business at all? And how do you do that?
1: You know, it's a I, I don't really feel like I have a problem with that. And I don't know if that's because I just, I love what I do. You enjoy it. Yeah. So much that. Um,
0: You're not escaping from it. it was, yeah,
1: yeah. Right. And, and, and so it's this and, and family, which in my opinion, we've really kind of done a great job of bringing that to our business. Anyways, I've got three daughters, six and one just turned 16, scary enough. 16 14 12 they're you know they have their sports and stuff and i enjoy going and watching them and supporting them and, and the rest of the time it's you know it's business and i'm sure. okay I, I i really never feel like i've had an issue kind of escaping it um and i you know and it's not like i'm always thinking about the business maybe i am i maybe i'm kidding myself but uh, so I, it's just never been a it's never been an issue never felt okay. but,
0: and and when you all get together say it's your father-in-law and your kids and all outside work somewhere are you is are you able to are you do you all talk about other things or is it
1: it is amazing this family is amazing they truly there's one sister in the business they have three sisters one passed away uh, many years ago from breast cancer um but there's one sister in the business who is, she is so intense and she's constantly wanting to talk business. Um,
0: in those settings.
1: In most, yeah. in most every setting. In all settings. Right. <laughs> and, but the, the rest of the family and including her as well, I mean, she's amazing. Uh, they just love hanging out together socially. Nice. Yeah. That, that the majority of the time, Business is never even brought up unless it's a scheduled family meeting. It, it, it's a really interesting thing
0: doing this podcast and talking to these different people from different businesses, different places, and they they go, their friends and other people are so shocked. Like, you guys work together 12 hours a day and do all this stuff. Then you're all together on vacation, and then you're all together doing this. Like, aren't you guys sick of each other? And, you know, it's it's different settings, and you see each other in different ways there. I yeah. I, I think our family has been pretty good about especially once you get kids, nieces, nephews, kids involved, yeah. because that and dogs and cats, that's who you're looking at. And yeah. not so Pat, um,
1: my mother, law my mother-in-law, Ann Highland, um, her parents had a place up in Harbor Springs. Okay, uh, Her mother bought it um, a long time ago. And so that, Pat and Ann started going up to Harbor Springs and they, they're on this beach called Forest Beach. And it's, I don't know, maybe it's got, 20 houses on it and over the years now my fam- families it's like a compound <laughs> Jeannie and sandra have a house there richard has a house there and so it's uh yeah they just they love being around each other and uh they are fun people and and love and
0: door and to door for everybody what's that five hours
1: uh it's yeah it's four and a half yeah four, four and, and a half
0: okay yep. so that's that's Doable. Actually, probably, probably a lot less in the summer of, of 2020. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I've been asking everybody this just because you know trying to have an evergreen podcast that's not just about you know the the, the COVID era, but it's it's certainly been longer than we all thought. And you know, you dealt with the virus yourself, and I'm obviously doing well now. What is something, anything that you took up in this last year you know a lot of people started becoming chefs or growing green plants or gardening i don't know anything you added on to your that you experimented with
1: i i didn't i what did i even um yeah i yeah i didn't i have done nothing new I've done nothing okay. to better, nothing to better myself. No, it's
0: not, <laughs> non-judgmental zone here.
1: <laughs> it's been, uh, it's been, there was certainly a lot of family time, which I loved uh, in supporting the girls. And keeping and, and
0: all work. that work, keeping all those work connections takes more work actually.
1: Yeah. And you know, and I'm, I'm at such an interesting place in, in my uh, professional career because this has been the transition. And like you said, we were, now we were planning a huge 85th celebration and all that got canceled. And but Mike wanted to continue with the transition. And uh so there's there's just been a lot at the office, um, or not at the office, but in the right, business. At, in the business at the, at the she, come up with a new saying on that one. Yeah, right. I mean, I
0: our our saying I I keep saying to use to build my case a little is that our founders talked about, you know. If you look at photos of the advertising executives in, say, the 1930s, they had a hat and a suit and a tie because was a lot of men then, and they didn't even take the jacket. So taking your jacket off and hanging it up was like radical. And then these guys would roll their sleeves up. And that was the expression, roll your sleeves up and go to work and because they saw themselves as part of sort of that extension of like the assembly line in Detroit like this is a factory we're making ads here we're on the drafts tables and and you can't do that virtually if you're making something now everything now we make is ones and zeros so in theory you can be anywhere but we're going to have to find that thing with that human connection in places in the virtual
1: piece um yeah it's good and bad uh, to both there's I mean, I've got ideas, but they're all expensive. <laughs> you know, I, I I could totally repurpose my my office space, and and I truly believe that we, um, I mean, as a as a human race, we're very social, right? Uh, and I think that our organization, our business, employs a lot of very social people, and so I think they're going to want something. They're going to want some kind of release um, from that home environment every single second of their lives but i want to create an environment where they want to come you know does that mean that i turn a whole floor into a coffee shop and smoothie bar and other things and and then another whole floor with a fitness center and you know does does that become more of a an environment that draws people in as opposed to forcing them to sure.
0: come? In? Sure, I, I I love what we call adult field trips, where we would go out and visit other places, operations, and how they set up their spaces and you know cool spaces, if you will. But not yeah. just to be pretty, but to be functional. Yeah. And and because it's definitely an area where you can beg, borrow, and steal ideas from what other other entities have done, and you have access to those because some of them are clients or. And, and I think there's been a lot of dynamic stuff going on in just in the Toledo area with repurposing spaces, doing different kinds of offices, different kinds of structures. So
1: I got to tell you, Jamie, my timing was impeccable. I, uh, I started a project um, right before COVID to redo two of my floors. And I, I went from having like 55 people on those floors to 72 people on each of them, and so I, I was running out of space. And this was a real old building; it had never been changed, it had all the old, old, old wall systems. So these offices were huge, the cubes sure. were huge, and so I, yeah, I spent millions of dollars redoing two floors, and they've been sitting empty, empty. for oh, wow, <laughs> the last last year. So that's yeah. one
0: of the biggest things as a business owner. Are you sort of say to people, imagine like in a hotel room somewhere for a year and never staying in it, but paying for it every night, right? I mean, it's it's, exactly. it's hard to kind of get your arms around and, and how many businesses have had to do that. And most have not been able to have insurance give much break on nope. that. Uh, I think there's some suits being brought there where there's different circumstances. But so, yes, the courts are going to figure that out over the coming years. about as much as i know about your world
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens
0: And, and and what i mean what do you tell people is the most fulfilling thing for you about being part of something that's got kind of this history and heritage and legacy which playing for great sports franchises has as well and being part of even university of michigan hockey has that as well
1: yeah but from the business standpoint I think um, the most fulfilling part of this opportunity and being part of this family is um, truly being able to work closely with other individuals to develop a strategy around growth, around truly being a difference maker in, in other businesses. I mean, we get paid to make sure that those businesses survive during um, you know, the worst of times. So uh, it it is there's as much of a of a winning uh, environment and and opportunity in insurance as there was you know playing uh, you know hockey. So it's it, I just That's nice. I, I don't even I don't even miss hockey like I I don't even miss it. I don't even think about it, I don't dream about it. And it, that happened quickly for me. I mean, I, I didn't even, this is going to kind of date me, I didn't even do a paper route back in the day. I I did. I never even worked. I just played hockey. It was yeah. my full-time job. And when I came here and I was, you know, especially in the Midwest where it's manufacturing, to go from never having a job to going mm-hmm. out there and visiting all these manufacturing facilities that were making garbage bags to the top of the Apache helicopter to, I mean, What a really cool experience. It really is. It drew me in instantaneously. And uh, so manufacturing is something I really, I find it fascinating. I'm
0: I'm so with you because I really am not, I I can't do that. I knew that if they dropped me back in time and I'd have to invent the pump and the well and the wheel and the pulley, I couldn't do, like, the world's in trouble. Yeah. Yeah but i when i see it in you I, I i am anytime i get to go on those tours those operations see those things it, i find it i do i find it fascinating
1: yeah and i lo- i love i love working with people i love making a difference in in sure. those people's lives and so we have 800 employees here I, what a great That's opportunity great. That's i want to add an, i want to add another 1000 families to to this organization so that really drives me i really I, care about these people it's it's great
0: I wish you the best. I hope you do that. Uh, uh, anything I forgot to touch on as it relates to uh, the family and generational story that is Highland, and and yourself being being part of that now.
1: Yeah, I think there was one question that you asked me, and we kind of touched on a lot of it um, about what my advice would be to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And, and because of some of the things we discussed around how applicable this business is to every aspect of life, we have the, the privilege of, of figuring out what we're passionate about and then building a strategy based on our products, things we can – that are already on the shelf or things we can create with insurance partners to – truly build a business around that passion. I mean there there's n- really good n- point. not many other businesses that that could satisfy a hundred different people uh with completely different interests and this this business does that and uh you know a perfect example is is Courtney Highland who is Richard's youngest daughter and she's very passionate about the environment and I said that's perfect I said sure Let's let's see if there's a way we can actually encourage businesses to become more environmentally responsible and and better stewards of it. So we've got products that can possibly encourage people to to do things or, um, you know, anything around. There, there's just there's just so much opportunity. Yeah, it's uh,
0: wonderful example when that passion intersects with a growth industry too, so and, and and not attaching something to maybe this. You know, if you're really into landline telephones, it'd be a little harder to ride that one out. But you talk about going to being environmental and stewardship and and whether it's about climate change or just that, whatever piece of that, right. it yeah. is it is going to be a hot area for the rest of my life, for sure. Of course,
1: uh, of course. But, you know, we could have someone on the other end who. Really is passionate about fossil fuels, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And, and we can talk about that too. Well,
0: I, and I, right, I like to tell people that get into the marketing world. We we like to proclaim the death of everything way too early. You know, yeah. newspapers are dead. Well, there's still a lot of them, and they've converted to digital properties. And you know, this this medium, nobody watches television anymore. yeah It's still a lot of people. It's just they consume it in different ways. So you're right. I mean, the 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 uh, end of the internal combustion engine. Man, they might stop making them, but they're gonna be around a long time. Uh mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I know I want to make sure I still have one, even if I'm fascinated by electric vehicles. I right? <laughs> gotta got yep. keep I think I gotta keep one. It's got a few yeah. cylinders in
1: it. Yeah, I, I I it's just such a neat, a neat place and um and a neat industry. And and yeah. so I just would I'd say, hey, just figure out what your passion is and then and then make a difference. And, and and this business allows you to do it.
0: Well, you can. I can sense your passion for business, the business, what you're doing. You know, not not sprayed on. You know, I can I can see the the the, the, the positive thing you bring to it. So, so I, I appreciate you sharing that with the Generation Excellence listeners, uh, and for you know sharing the Highland story. So, Bubba yeah. Berenswag, thanks for thanks for doing this. Absolutely thank you for listening. Special thanks to Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienenfeld at SMZ for helping make Generation Excellence, well, excellent. Until next time, I'm Jamie Michelson.